podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Today's guest journey and entrepreneurship started how many journeys start at a blank Google search screen. Oh, yes. (laughs) And sometimes this goes well, sometimes not so much. But today's guest, Michael Erickson, was once a teacher. And he decided one day to go to the internet and type in, how do I make money online? Fast forward five or six years, and Michael's spoken at our events many times. He's been on this show before talking about his journey building a six-figure services business. So his business, Search Scientist, was a productized service that did paid ad traffic services for, for entrepreneurs. So we had him on the show in December, and recently he got my attention again because he sponsored DC Austin. So I was like, something's going pretty good for Michael. What's going on with this guy? So I called him up to talk about that, and it ended up just we ended up hitting the record button to hear a little bit about what I feel is an exciting transition he's making. Yeah, he started a new company, and it's called AdBadger. Yeah. And in many ways, like AdBadger is sort of a software version of what his service does. I don't want to oversimplify it. I'll let Michael describe it. But part of the reason I thought this was so fascinating is if I had a nickel for every services entrepreneur that I met that said to themselves, man, I would really like to build a product, you know? And... The problem with that is it's hard just to start with some of these more complex business models, Ian. You know, like when you're the person who's sitting at the Google search typing how to make money online, the right answer probably isn't start a software startup. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's a very complicated answer. But do you remember having these conversations when we started our first business, Dan? Whether or not we would start a services company or whether we would start a product company? Because I remember we sat down... And I kind of had these ideas for these physical products that we were going to make, but it did occur to us because we were both at the time working for a company that had clients to start a service-based design business. It did. And I think me and you just looked at each other and we're like, no effing way I'm dealing with all these clients that I'm dealing with now. Like, I just want to have some customers. I just want to make a product. I just want to let it sail out there and have people buy it. Of course, that wasn't the case, but... There's something cool about the clarity of the early days. Like how to make money online. That's what the information I need. And I remember one thing that you said to me in the early days, which is that if we want to get more freedom in our lives, we're going to have to have our own product. Like that was the math equation you sat in front of me. And I was like, that makes total sense. That's so very true. And then I let my imagination run wild and I imagined like a purple Lamborghini. I think I was like, okay, if I have my own product. What's interesting for me is that 400 episodes, nearly 400 episodes later, we're still debating the same thing, which is, you know, should you start your own business? Should it be a product? Should it be a service? Because it's not that cut and dry. I think back then we just had the luxury of not knowing so much. What I like about this and what I like about Michael's story is that this stuff is a journey of discovery and it's also a know-how, you know? You have to build the skill set of entrepreneurship and it's obviously what Michael's been doing now starting what's going to be his second company 
And it's coming from the first, which is often how this stuff happens. So what do you say we dig into it and hear the story of how a services company can transition and grow into a product company? And again, this is all brand new. So we're kind of live action podcasting here. We are watching this fly or crash and burn. Yeah, so some quick background. When we last talked to Michael, and this was early on in the year, we were talking about the mindset of getting past that six-figure mark, which is something that he had done. And he had done it by hiring a team of 10 remote employees. And this was for his company, Search Scientists. This is incredible that only it had been a few years previous that Michael had been fired from his teaching job. So this stuff can happen fast. At the time, you know, Michael was running search scientists' location independently. He was often to be found on tropical islands. But there have been some changes lately, and we're going to talk about that in today's story. For nostalgia's sake, let's just spool it back a little bit to where it all began and how Michael got started on the services route in the first place. I was doing anything anyone would pay for. You want me to edit this podcast, Dan? I'll do it. (laughs) Let's let's do it. What I started to do is actually parse out things that I didn't like doing versus things that I enjoyed. And paid traffic for me, you know, paid traffic being Google AdWords, Facebook ads, Amazon ads, it became almost like a game. So in college, I was a super hardcore gamer, like a StarCraft player and... We can edit that out for you. Sorry, Michael. <laughs> no, that's good. <laughs> and, you know, it's you versus the competition. It's you starting off with the same resources as your competition. It's you trying to figure out a way to how to outsmart your competition, sometimes with even less resources. And to me, that's what paid traffic had become. You know, this like fun puzzle where you get to do cool things and, and it's really an incredible feeling at the end of the month when you're looking at your numbers and be like, hells yeah, like we did something and it moved the needle in a good direction. So paid traffic is really what I connected with many, many years ago. And the transition was just simply saying, hey, I can get a lot faster and a lot more efficient and a lot more effective at paid ads if I only focus on them. And it was a really easy step because I genuinely enjoyed it and I genuinely still do enjoy it. So tell me about that transition then from going from, hey, I'm awesome at gaming the internet. I spent a lot of time building the skill set to search scientists, which was, you know, productized service firm. I mean, where did you get that idea from and how did you build that? It was almost like up leveling to like a new tier in the sense of, hey, I was doing, you know, I was managing 10 clients myself and I loved the, the positive interactions. I loved being able to outsmart the competition with paid ads. And I kind of started thinking, well, how do we do this for more people? What can we do to make this more impactful? What can we do to make this a bigger business? And really, it was that ambition and that drive to want to you know, sort of share that experience more with more businesses, with more people on the team, build a team culture. Starting the paid service company, you know, I started it from being like a really, I guess, a competent freelancer, right? So I was like, hey, I can do this really well. Imagine if I could duplicate what I do and have 10 people on the team also doing it. That's really easy to say, but difficult to do in practice. So, I mean, it's taken years and I still think we have a a good solid ways to go. But I think focusing on that, 
you know, how do we get everyone to operate at the same high standard? How do we operate 10 different people on the team to all do things, quote unquote, the right way? And it's been a long challenge through a lot of trial and error. So we had, oh man, we've had so many iterations of it. We had a library of like 200 SOPs and it was almost like a mix of instructions like, hey, do things this way for this use case, do things this way for this use use case. And it was just such an overwhelming system that it wasn't effective. So then we sort of almost about a year ago, we sort of transformed from having 200 SOPs to having solid systems. So like this is our system for optimizing bids. It's a one pager. It's a clear PDF. It says this is how you optimize bids on AdWords, on Facebook, on Amazon. Boom. If you need help, here are some extra individual SOPs underneath it so people can go click through. And now we also layered on performance standards, you know, that, that actually say if we do a spot check in the account and it's not configured to our this best practice, like this is like a fireable offense on our end. And fortunately, we haven't had to cross that bridge, but just kind of setting that standard and realizing, hey, this is the way that we can keep performance as high as possible. Like to be able to wrangle everyone together in a location-independent environment has been the challenge, most challenging part of having a location-independent service company. Did you feel like basically this is your limiter to growth in that business? Yeah, you know, in the sense of, you know, we just hired someone new a couple of weeks ago, and they will have weeks, if not a few months, of sort of learning the way that we do things, of learning the standards that we have. So it is a sort of expensive process to onboard someone and to train them to the way that we do things. And sometimes they have to unlearn some things that they've done in the past. So finding good people and getting them to be good in our system definitely has been the biggest limiter for the agency. It's fair to say that by setting up and running search scientists, Michael gained a lot of experience in hiring and managing a remote team. And, you know, sort of living the dream in that respect, working from home and everything. So it might come as a bit of a surprise, probably not to you, boss man, that he's done a 360 pivot in that regard specifically. So I don't know if you guys noticed on the interview, but there's a bit of background noise in the interview and it wasn't the waves of the Caribbean, but it was the screech of markers on the whiteboard and a bustling office in downtown Austin. I think you called this the hot box, Ian. This is a hot <laughs> box. When you have a new team, and generally speaking, your office is a little bit too small for your new team because you're trying to save a little bit of money. You end up bumping elbows with people. You end up sharing Dorito breath with people over lunch. <laughs> <laughs> it was obvious to me that Michael was excited, you know, and that, that's one of the best parts about being an entrepreneur is the passion, you know, that comes with sharing your projects that you're excited about with other people. So super cool. So anyway, this this interview took place in that that hot box in downtown Austin, Texas, where they're not running a productized service company most of the time. They're running this software company called Ad Badger, and with Michael's wife, Carolina, as the chief operating officer. Still, Search Scientist is still run by that fully remote team, but the Ad Badger crew is almost entirely Austin-based, and that's by design. So I decided to ask him, uh, you know, what that's all about. It's been a very quiet, intentionally quiet project that we've been working on. And essentially what AdBadger does is it helps Amazon sellers have perfect Amazon campaigns in like 20 minutes a month. Intentionally quiet. Mm-hmm. 
so this is my first software venture, and we've paired up with a lot of smart people who have a lot of experience with software. And what I've learned is that good software is difficult to create. And we wanted to be sure we didn't tell people about it until we knew that we had something good. And I'm really proud of what's come out of like many months of hard work. And I think, and what I've also learned is that software never really finishes. <laughs> so even though we're getting ready for sort of our early access, it's still going to be months to really get it as good as we want it to be. And then even then, it's like, well, what else can we do? So I've learned a lot about software development over the last few months. Can you describe with me the setting that you're in right now? This is uh, Badger Studios. So I'm trying something different. So there's a lot of sort of growth in my own entrepreneurship. This business, I'm actually trying to keep local. I met my developer, and this is the most Austin story you'll ever hear. I met my developer in a dog park. So it's been a really, really cool experience building something local. So this is our office that I'm in right now, and I kind of dig it. Why? You're crazy. I mean, you got into this game so that you could live anywhere. You were in the Caribbean. You dreamed of beaches in Thailand. Yeah. <laughs> and now you're hot boxing in an office. It's true. If I could read on the whiteboard behind you, you have very long words and graphs and charts going on. What's, <laughs> what's going on, man? I thought you were supposed to be living the dream. I came to Austin for one specific reason, which was to work really, really hard. So it's an incredible city to work really hard from. So what's really cool about working location dependent with people that you're next to every day, you pick up on vibes and you pick up on energy that you wouldn't have caught otherwise. You mentioned the whiteboard. I actually call it like the whiteboard effect, meaning everyone walks in, everyone sees the same whiteboard every day. Everyone knows what the top initiative of the week is. And I feel like it's just easier. It's almost like a hack. So I know that you can do it location independent. I mean, I do it in location independent, but to be able to sit next to a developer eight hours a day and talk about the software and, and quick little questions, you know, hey, what should we do? Which lead into 30, 45 minute deep conversations to really flesh things out and get things right. It's been great. I'm not going to lie. It's been great. And are you up for talking about some sponsors? Let's talk about a company that makes this show possible. Hmm. You up for it? I think I know who you're going to talk about. One of the critiques that we receive, Ian, is that we make it sound intimidating to start a business or to get started with entrepreneurship or to build a new and better business. And today's sponsor makes it simple. I'm serious. Today's sponsor is junglescout.com. And Jungle Scout is a suite of tools that basically helps you grow profitable businesses on Amazon. There's hardly an easier way to get started with building a business online, seriously. In the Amazon ecosystem, it's gotta be one of the easiest ways to go from nothing to something. If you're sitting there listening to this episode thinking, man, I'd really like to start a better business, I'd like to learn something new, or I'd like to get started with my first business, or if you sell on Amazon, this is a no-brainer. Check out junglescout.com slash TMBA. Basically, Jungle Scout helps you identify profitable products to sell on Amazon. So you don't need to rack your brain. The tool does it for you. Literally, they have a step-by-step -step guide. They have case studies that show you how to do this. So there's no excuses. There's nothing difficult about it. You just got to head over to junglescout.com slash TMBA, download the guide, check out the case studies, and big thanks to uh, the folks at junglescout.com. And 
the founder of Jungle Scout's actually been on the show. So if you want to hear a little of the backstory, check out episode 324, the Amazon Gold Rush. A lot of people making money on Amazon, boss man. Are you one of them? I'm very close to a lot of people that are making money on Amazon. I myself have made a few dollars on Amazon, yes, in the past. JungleScout.com slash TMBA. Check it out. And thanks for helping to make this program possible. We were talking last time. You had 10 team members. You're cruising along. And now with starting a software company, it seems like you're bringing a lot of unnecessary risk and work into your career. Why not just stick with what was working? So I view it as an extension. I think part of it is I do sometimes think that people can get into trouble if they say, hey, great, I have this one business that works well. Let me go also do a completely unrelated thing in another business just because, kind of. I think I view building software in this way. So it's a piece of paid traffic software. It is an extension of the years of paid traffic experience that I have, both in doing it manually and both in using a lot of software tools. So I don't necessarily view it as a risk. I view it as it's like a fun challenge. You know, it's a challenge to say, hey, can I be the leader that can lead two companies? Can I be a leader that can lead a service company and a software company? So I've really viewed it as, again, that's why I moved to Austin, to work really hard. And, and this is just that natural progression of everything. When we talked, wasn't so long ago, we were talking about this theory that if you had a business that wasn't generating six figures in sales, that the challenges you were encountering were probably psychological. And then you spoke a great deal about the freelancer mindset and how you felt a little bit stuck in that. Then all of a sudden you stumble onto this productized service and the problems are different that someone at the scale you were operating had. You had a big team, you have a lot of clients. And I'm wondering now all of a sudden you may not have psychological problems, but you may have business model problems. (laughs) I would love to tell you that there's no psychological problems anymore. I remember the sense of almost like you're you're ready to run up a mountain and you're at the bottom of it and you're looking up at it and being like, oh man, like, can I do this? Like, this is crazy. So I definitely had a point at which I was like, is this even possible? Are there enough hours in the day? I think everyone has it. You know, I think anyone who says they don't have it is probably lying. But I think what it's almost like a muscle that can get stronger that says, hey, like where there's a will, there's a way kind of. What is the plan to do this? How can I rise to the occasion? And that's been really fun to do. It seems to me, I know I'm always trying to like bring in these frameworks, but there's this thing like you started, I remember asking you if you've ever felt like behind, because when you started as an entrepreneur, it was literally like with a Google search. <laughs> you were a teacher, mm-hmm. a supposedly unentrepreneurial profession. Mm-hmm. So you go to Google and you type in the most fundamental thing. And now here you are, you have a bunch of employees, you have an office, you have an agency, and you're able to walk up to somebody in a dog park and earn their trust. And like, that's something that you can't Google for. And I'm wondering, do you see these progressions as sort of like cash flowing your education onto more desirable business models? Because when I look at Ad Badger, I think, well, yeah, that's the business I wanted to start 10 years ago, right? But I wouldn't have been able to do it, I don't think. And certainly you wouldn't have been able to. Oh, hells no. So this is something that a lot of people who I think are one-man bands or freelancers, I get messages like this in my inbox every once in a while, and they say, hey, can I talk with you about what it's like having an agency versus being a one-man shop? And I tell them, like, 
listen, for a very long time, you're going to make less money, you're going to work a lot more, and you're going to be, you know, it's like a tough path. And I try to tell them to visualize, okay, great, you are chock full of clients right now as a one-man shop. And your time is going towards serving them. And you make your own salary from serving those clients. If you were to hire someone next month and give them all of your clients, they would be paying for that new person. You would be all of a sudden making less money. You might have more time. So then you need to go out and get more clients and then hire again. And it's been, you know, that sort of sine wave of of peak of going up and going down of hiring and then taking the hit for hiring and then getting more clients and then great. Now we need to hire more. It's challenging. It, it really, truly is challenging. Some of the things that we have done and some of the things that I've done personally, you know, get insight from business coaches. I've also, you know, one of the insights that I've learned was keeping people almost at 80% capacity and having checks and balances. So like you get the luxury of pre-hiring, you know, so we know when we are at 70% capacity. So we try to always stay at 70% capacity, some point between 70 to 80% capacity, which lowers our profits. But if we do have an influx of clients, hey, guess what? We're only at 70% capacity. So, you know, we take on more clients, we get to 80% capacity. We start our hiring process between 70 and 80%. And boom, hopefully we can get a, we can hire a new person before we ever go over 100% capacity. So staying in that sweet spot, you know, costs us profitability, but it makes us a slightly stronger company. What happens if, if sales stop coming through? You know, I think one of the things that I've learned over the past few years is to be proactive about sales. So like actually turning sales into a routine, just like everything else. So if you know that every month I can get out 12 proposals and I know that out of those 12 proposals, about 50% of those are going to sign up. So that's great. That's six new clients every month. All we have to do is make 12 proposals. Well, how many people do we have to talk to to make those 12 proposals? Okay, great. Well, how many leads do we need to come in in order to have that many conversations, in order to make that many proposals, in order to have that many proposals turn into leads? So turning it into just another mathematical equation that you can write out on Excel has been helpful for us. You know, I think the lesson that I've learned, it doesn't have to be you doing all of these things. You know, getting a COO, getting a CMO has been a huge help in offloading some of that responsibility to really smart people. And again, it's not, you know, I might be the worst person to be making all these proposals. I might be the worst person for managing accounts because I'm stretched. I'm doing a lot of other things. And I, if I were to also do that, I would be very bad at it because I don't have the time for it. And there's one thing I just want to interject in here that Michael and I didn't get into too much. But if there's any listeners familiar with Rob Walling's stair-step approach, do you recall that? I do, yeah. Give a presentation on it. Essentially, the idea that Rob Walling from Startups for the Rest of Us presented was called the stair-step, which basically means that If you're just getting started out as an entrepreneur, you're probably not ready to take on investment, spend hundreds of thousands of dollars building a product or a piece of software before you even understand the basics, like how to get a client, how to make sales, you know, how to set up a basic website, how to manage one employee. And so the idea is that you start with a simple, low cost business model to sort of get your feet wet, so to speak. And I see a lot of people in the community doing this. You essentially like stair-step your way up to more profitable and compelling business models as you earn your stripes via profitable action. So it's kind of like 
going to college, but not paying for it. Like you're getting paid to learn this skill set by offering a service, by selling yourself as a freelancer, by putting up a simple e-commerce site that has one marketing channel, say through Facebook or Instagram. This is like a way for you to start getting paid for your work and to start understanding the skills that are going to help you one day to launch a business that, you know, it looks like what Michael's doing with here with AdBadger, I mean, you need some experience to do this stuff, right? This isn't something that you're going to be able to do after a few Google searches. For me, Dan, there's two lines that kind of intersect. The line of inefficiency or efficiency on your way to efficiency and also the line of experience. And so I think a lot of the reasons why the stair-step approach works is because at the beginning, it's impossible to be efficient because you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what the market's doing. You don't know what your clients want. So you're just spending a lot of time spinning your wheels, trying to figure out how to make a couple dollars. You get in a position like Michael got himself in, which is he has a great agency. He's got 10 people working for him. But he sees another way to go forward that's a little bit more efficient than where he's at right now. And that's kind of where these products come in. That's kind of where these more sophisticated services come in. You say like, hey, I figured out a way to make a couple bucks, but I figured out a way to make a couple bucks a little bit easier with this product. And I think that that's pretty much a natural evolution for the kind of people that roll around in these circles is they're always looking for ways to make money more efficiently. It's interesting too, because you know, with, with this product, Michael literally started out like as a freelancer on Odesk. I, I think you remember those stories. Yeah. And then he was like, oh, I'm making good money with the PPC stuff. PPC being paid traffic sources, specifically AdWords. So, you know, companies are paying for website traffic to come to their site to buy things. And what Michael found was, I'm going to put words in his mouth, that by doing all these random things on the internet, he found that this was the one that both he had a skill for and that his clients really valued from him. Well, fast forward many years of hard work of building a team, training people, communicating that to other people, giving clients value. And Michael's managed millions of dollars in ad spend, okay? Now, all of a sudden, he's building a product that scratches his own itch, that helps him invest that money more efficiently. And this is just not something that you can dream up in the shower, no, it's really important too to think about it in that way. So Michael's been servicing these clients. He's been figuring out these problems for a long time. A lot of people, they see that there's a company that does what Ad Badger does, right? And they say like, oh, I'm going to start that company. I see that there's a problem there. More importantly, there's already people that are addressing these problems. So there must be money there in that space. They put up a landing page. They put up a product page, whatever. They build a little piece of software. The advantage that a guy like Michael has is that he actually knows intimately the problems that these people are having. I think a lot of people, they see a website, they see a company, they see something like that, and they think that they actually understand the problems that they're solving. But in reality, they don't because they're not servicing those clients yet. And so that's the advantage that Michael has. And that's how the stair-step approach works. So let's get back into it. Can you describe what it's like working with your wife? A lot of people in a professional life, this would never be an option, you know, because like you have different jobs. It's sort of strange to get hired at the same job in offices next to each other. We're in a situation where we're finding so many people in our community working with their partner. I want to hear just a little bit about what that's like. Yeah, I think part of it is that I have an extraordinary wife. She actually inspired me 
to start a business in the first place. I saw it as an impossibility where she said, let's go for it. So in so many ways, she's always been incredibly important, even before she had an official title. But within the last, even just six months, we actually put an official title on it. One of the great things, it's been great to have people that disagree with me. It's very difficult for me to say an idea and have it be critically analyzed and have really intense discussions. Especially if you're paying people a lot of money, sometimes they'll just accept your ideas. Yeah, I hate to say it. Sometimes I can go to the the team and say an idea and I'm going to know that everyone's going to be like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And maybe sometimes they are. But, you know, I, I can't imagine all of my ideas are good. So a lot of the leaders on the team are actually people that disagree with me a lot. To be able to get that high level person who cares, who critically analyzes things has been so good. I mean, literally, I remember when my wife and I would high five when we got one sale, you know, doing one sale for 50 bucks for like 50 hours of work. And I remember <laughs> that feeling of being like, wow, this is incredible. And I couldn't possibly dream of one day starting a software company. I, I think it's been an incredible journey and I've made so many great memories and met so many incredible people. Why did you sponsor DC Austin? We wanted to sponsor DC Austin because we feel like so many DCers have used Amazon as a way to you know, build more freedom in their own lives. So we feel like to be able to come to the DC, and this is really a, a DC-born product. You know, I wouldn't have started this journey with AdBadger unless it had been for the connections that I made in the DC. You know what's fascinating about entrepreneurship? And there's so many people that are scared to get started. And I'm sure like me and you could both tell the stories of, yeah, it's scary at the beginning. But part of that is it's so unpredictable. Like the good things that come your way, you can't see them. When I was speaking with you in December last year, all the good things that you saw coming your way, none of them had software. So now I want to ask for another prediction. What's your hope for AdBadger? What's your hope for the next six months of your business. I'm so excited about AdBadger. I'm going to show you my cell phone right now. I've even got an AdBadger sticker right <laughs> on it. So I'm very excited over it. And I'm so excited over what it is that even if no one ever uses it, even if it's just an internal tool for our own team, I'll still be so stoked to be able to, again, now it's really a game, right? Now it's really a game because you can actually use software to like get ahead of your competition. So I'm super excited about that. But in terms of setting up goals for it, I would love to have a piece of software that is useful for hundreds of people. You know, it's that same thing that I mentioned earlier, like moving from freelancer to agency owner. And it's like, I have the opportunity if I hire people and build a team, we can do our service for dozens of people. Now it's like with our software, we can create a positive experience for hundreds, if not thousands of people. Big thanks to Michael for getting on the blower, having a conversation. I'm, I'm curious to see what AdBadger does, man. It's pretty fascinating. It's new stuff. They just got a bunch of beta users in there now. This Amazon ecosystem, it's like what we were talking about a few weeks ago. Smart people attaching themselves to high growth, new industries and marketplaces. That's a wealth generation recipe right there. You know, Forget about the stock market. Forget about saving money on your Starbucks order. <laughs> 
This is how it gets done. By the way, if you got comments on this episode, we're going to post the show notes over at tropicalmba.com slash adbadger. You can check out what they're up to there. Can I use this as an opportunity to talk theory for a second? I don't know if you have to ask my permission, but let's do it. Here's my argument against the big dreamers out there. Here's the thing. The way to start big businesses is not at the level of your imagination or at the level of your belief in yourself or how confident you are. None of this stuff. Forget about all that. The reason that Michael's starting a business like this that a lot of us look at and say, wow, that's got a lot of potential is because he was willing to solve big problems for people repeatedly, professionally, and at a high level for many years. That's the secret to this stuff. You will always find at the core of every great business, someone who is willing to solve hard problems for people professionally and consistently. But if you're trying to figure out how to get started in a new business or a better business or your first business, all you have to do is solve problems for other people. And I think Michael's track is one that a lot of people listening to the show can relate to. I think one of the differences between Michael and a lot of people is that he took a first step of action. He decided that he was going to get fired from his teaching job, (laughs) (laughs) as some of us do, and he was going to start solving problems for other people. He was going to start creating value. Again, we're going to post everything, all the show notes and links to this episode, tropicalmba.com slash adbadger. And as always, we'll be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.